East, the adventure of a famously lively court, a place where her singular voice would be heard. Also the companionship of the Grand Duke, though she hopes he has grown more charming since her first unpromising encounter with him. George's proclamation, you were meant for greater, thrums with truth now against the sky inflamed by a six-tailed comet. She climbs back into the carriage and they continue their long eastward journey. She expects a magnificent Russian palace, a Versailles of the East that she has read about in travelers' accounts, but they pull up in front of a sagging wooden building painted in bright, primitive colors. It is foreign, backward, it lacks luster. This oversized hut is Empress Elizabeth's court? Her mother sniffs in disappointment at the sight of it. Half of it is draped in darkness, a few windows illuminated as if in anticipation of unexpected guests. A row of frozen tree stalks framing the entrance, the stairway chipped, the first step already crumbled to dust. But then the silence of the road is shattered, their carriage surrounded by a flurry of chamberlains. Their doors are flung open and they are greeted with a jumbled mix of languages, German and the guttural buzz of Russian. Their baggage is being transferred from hand to hand until it disappears into the entryway. Sophie struggles to remember court protocol. Are they to wait for bows? Are they to follow a particular person into the palace? Darkness seeds to candlelight. She feels disoriented, miniature, young. They descend from the cabin, her mother solemn and ceremonial, draped on the hand of some field marshal or other. They are being welcomed, passed off to other welcomers, taken to a set of garishly lit rooms at the end of a hallway. The interior is slightly more promising, the occasional flicker of inlaid gold, expensive brocade hangings in the French style, crystal chandeliers dangling overhead, mosaics drawing patterns across the floors, mirrors stretching floor to ceiling. The wood floors are missing a few panels, but shiny with oil. Servants dressed in deep maroon bring glasses of wine on gold trays, bitter to sit. But she is agitated. Everything brims with exotic, folk-like charm. When they are left alone, mother and daughter stare at each other in a kind of disbelief. So here we are, she says, if only to seal the air with sound. But her mother is already pulling up violet powder from her portmanteau. No rest for us tonight, Figgy. We must be prepared to impress Her Majesty. For Sophie, her mother is as unknowable as the severe steps they have just traversed, always enshrouded in complaints and negative observations. The tenor of the grumblings is always the same. If she had only not agreed to the terrible match with Sophie's father, who stuck her in dull provinces far from any shred of glitter or excitement, if she had only insisted on Frederick's intervention at the crucial moment before the nuptials, she might be a player on the world stage herself. Now she has worked her own family connections to the very bone in order to subsist on Sophie's future success. Sophie is not allowed to forget that she is in debt to her mother's sacrifices, that elusive promise of happiness. Her mother crosses the room, a cool thumb fanning the surface of Sophie's cheek. We should tidy up. We may be introduced to the Grand Duke any minute now. Just as her coarse braid is loosened, the doors swing open. The boy, who will be Sophie's husband, ambles in, all bony legs and elbows. 
I had to see you. I could wait no longer. He is speaking German quickly, frantically, with an odd, thick accent, marching from one end of the room to the other while her mother's lapidary hands work to reattach the headdress to her hair. His flushed face is illuminated, then wiped clean by evening's shadow. He exudes a confined energy, a horse sprung free from the stables. What should her response be? Sophie glances at her mother for guidance, but her mother is standing mutely by the chair, the hair around her forehead ascending like flames. They are waiting for something else to happen. A brief examination proves her future husband to be barely taller than he was four years ago. On his person, there are few signs of maturation or masculinity. His skin is the lifeless color of parchment, a face punctuated by the faintest of chins. Sunshine seems to have eluded him. She wonders if some token of affection...